It's relationships that make life rich. It's not the stuff you have. When Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, he wasn't talking about stuff. Because stuff doesn't go to heaven. He's talking about people. Of course, now for me, there's some wonderful deposits in heaven already for me. My parents, my, my in-laws, uh, blessed friends that I've had through the years, uh, that, that heaven is a dear place to me because of the investment of relationships. Relationships make life rich. King Frederick of Prussia, about years ago, he wanted to try an experiment to see what language children would speak if they were left unattended. Would they just naturally speak different languages? Would one child speak Italian, another speak French, or another speak Spanish, another speak German? What language would they speak if they were just left to their natural order? It sounds like the most ridiculous experiment one can make if you observe children at all, because children learn to speak the language of their parents, or as we call it, their heart language, the language of their culture, language of their understanding. So King Frederick, being a king, actually a pretty bellicose king, he, he instructed the caregivers of these children not to give them any other attention other than basic necessities. Feed them, change them, don't cuddle them, don't talk to them, don't interact with them, and let's see what language they will speak. Well, the, the, the experiment failed miserably because all the children died. Without human touch, these children died. God has hardwired us for community, for relationships. He's put that longing in our hearts and our lives. And so as we jump into this series called Crazy Love, it's all about understanding relationships, how God has put us together, how God has wired our hearts. And there's some things that that I'm praying that we will all discover. Now, one thing I want to say to you guys, I want you to, I want you to know this. Most time when I preach, I'm preaching to myself. You just get the leftovers. Okay, you're getting the gravy because I'm not going to even begin to tell you that I've got this down. In fact, if you think I've got it down, I've got a witness who will testify the fact that I'm still working on it. It's called my wife. Now, I have to be here most all day today. We have a deacon's meeting uh, this afternoon. We have a business meeting uh, after that, and there's no telling how long that's going to go. And Tara says, I don't want to be here all day, so she's coming to the second service. She says, I have a car, and I know how to go through purgatory. I will be here at the second service. But my wife, Mark Twain said this, when you marry, you gain a witness to your soul. Isn't that true? You gain a witness to your soul. So relationships make life rich. And so when I talk about these things, I want to say this to you. I'm not going to talk down to you. I want to talk with you. And we're going to learn together. Does that sound all right? That's right. Now, sometimes you're going to say, thank you, Jesus. I ain't as bad as that preacher, okay? And that's good because sometimes I'm going to think that, but I'm never going to say that about you, okay? I'm going to pretend like you're all right, even when we know better than that. So relationships, and today we're going to jump into what I think is a very complex subject. So as I speak today, I'm going to ask you to pray for me that I'll be clear and concise because I may say some things that you have never considered and it may challenge your thinking theologically. You may go, whoa, 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 whoa. What does that mean? Because I believe there's some ambiguity that's been taught in this subject that's created confusion with us. And so I'm going to talk about those things. Now, some of y'all just perked up your ears and said, I'm not going to sleep through this one. I'm going to listen and see what that fool has to say. Well, let's see what the Lord has to say. You see, God wants a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. 
It's not a religion to be a Christian. It's a relationship. You don't ritual yourself into a relationship with God. You trust in him that he might adopt you into his family where we cry out what? Abba, Daddy God. It's a relationship we have with God. Religion has its root in ritual. Relationships has its root in the cross of Calvary. And so this is what God has desired for you, and this is what he wants. And he wants us to have this relationship deep in the heart with one another. He wants us to outdo one another by showing honor. He wants to love each other deeply from the heart. Now, I want to say this, and I want you to hold on to this. People bring problems to your life. Isn't that true? I heard an evangelist once said, I'd win the world of Christ if it wasn't for all these people. That's true. I've pastored churches that are very, very large, and, and pastoring these churches that are large, the congregation, they never gave me any trouble. You know who the people gave me trouble were? The staff people. You know what I told them? I said, I can get trouble for free. I shouldn't have to pay for it. That's funny if you think about it, you know. <laughs> but the truth is that, that we struggle with this. Why do we struggle with this? There's a three-letter word called sin. My wife's biggest problem is that she's married to a sinner. And we're all sinful, right? I want you to look at your neighbor right now, look him dead in the eye and say, you are a sinner. Will you do that? And some of y'all are enjoying that. You get right up in somebody's face and some of y'all just being sweet and you look and say, you know, you know that's you. You know that's you. That's right. So we're going to talk about relationships. What was God thinking? How did God manage to put relationships together? And relationships in marriage and relationships in friendships and the differences between men and women. So this, this talk's a bit complex, so we're going to jump right into it. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you want to say to us this morning, and I pray that you'll speak through me. They'll not be my words or my thoughts, but your truth that will lead us to understand who you are and what you desire. And I thank you that you are thorough and you are good. And I pray this all in Christ Jesus' strong name. Amen. Now, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start at the start and look at creation. We're going to cover several scriptures. They're going to be projected on the screen. You can follow with me as we talk through these things. We are created in God's image. That doesn't mean you look like God. That means that you have the character and the design of God. And so we're created in God's image, and God's image is created in that of a longing for connection. Uh, God said, let us create man in our own image. And the doctrine of the Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit living as the triune God, one God in three persons in perfect unity. That, my friend, is an awesome small group right there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That in that triune of one God manifested three persons, now it's not modalism, where it's one God with three functions, it's one God in the deity, the Godhead of the three in one, the great mystery. Now the church debated that for about 525 years before they settled on it. So if you're sitting there having complications with that thought, Welcome to theology. And some things you're just not going to be able to understand. And you know what? I've discovered as a theologian, I am comfortable with the tension. I am comfortable with the tension. 
that I know that God is good and faithful, but I know he's created us for connection. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. They will rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. That's Genesis 126. I kind of smile when I think about the, the small animals that scurry on the ground. My wife is in open warfare with the squirrels in our neighborhood. And she is, and she's trying to send some to be with Jesus, but she's not a very good shot with our pellet gun. And so they are mocking her. And what they're doing is they're coming on our back patio and getting the, the stuffing out of our cushion to make their little nest. And I say to her, baby, the squirrels need a place to live. She said, the squirrels can go live with Jesus. So we're supposed to have dominion over the little things that squirry on the ground. Now, I will not use that illustration in the next service, just so you guys will know that. Okay. Then God said in Genesis 1.26, he says, then God blessed them. God blessed them. You ever thought about that God blesses you? He blesses you. He loves you. He cares about you. God demonstrated his love for you while you were a still sinner. Christ died for you. When my children were little, every night I would go in and I would bless them. I would say three scriptures over them and pray over them, and I would bless them. They're now not little children. They're grown, and they still desire their daddy to bless them, to bless them. And my daughter has started that with our granddaughter. I said to her when Ivy was little, I said, do you want me to bless Ivy like I bless you? She says, no, Daddy, that's my job. That's her daddy's job. And uh, there's another little one on the way. We're excited about Lily Jane coming in August. She might be born on my birthday. It'll be a glorious day, my birthday, <laughs> and her birthday as well. He blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Now, the word govern it there means to take responsibility for. Do you know God puts governments in place that they may care for their people? Somehow I think our government has forgotten that, that govern it. So here's some thoughts, and I want you to track with me. Here's the first thing I want to give to you so you can understand. We are spiritual beings first and foremost. We're spiritual beings first and foremost. You look at our externals. Man, we just get old, don't we? And the only thing we do is get older. You don't ever get younger, and if you try to act younger and look younger, you're creepy. We just get older. Every time I walk by a mirror, I see my daddy. I'm turning into my father. Now, I hope to become like my father in character, because my father was an amazing, godly man, a deacon in his church, chairman of the deacons, uh, a churchman, a school principal, uh, a godly man, my best friend, the, my best man at my wedding. But I'm starting to look like him when he was 85. I, I used to tell my dad, he said, Dad, you look good. He said, my looks have never been my problem. <laughs> that was my daddy, my daddy. But we're spiritual first and foremost. We are not physical as the song says, soon I'll be done with the troubles of this world going home to live with God, where I'll get a, a new body. I will still have the resemblance of myself, but I, I am spiritual. 
I'm created to live eternally. And so are you. So are you. God has placed eternity in your heart. God has placed eternity in the hearts of your people. As I was driving through Wimberley today, I thought, how many of these people in this city know that there's an eternity and a destiny for those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus? I wonder if there's a church that cares so much about people's eternity, they're willing to help liberate them from drug abuse and from false thinking and from confusion. I wonder if God has a people that are so courageous and bold that are willing to help people prepare for eternity. I wonder, I wonder, could it be this church? Would it be our church, First Baptist Church? Because God is relational, we have the image of relationships. Men and women are created intentionally by God. Now get this, this is where it's gonna get a little tricky for you, for some. They're created by God to be equal but complementary. Equal in the fact of our relationship with God is accessed the same way, but we're complementary to one another. Now I'm gonna throw out some theological terms so you can impress your friends and neighbors uh, this, this week as you that you gather with, they say, what did y'all talk about church today? We said, well, we talk about egalitarianism and complementarianism. <laughs> egalitarianism is the theology that says we're all equal and complementary, a complementarianism is that, that we complement one another as men and women, that God has created us to be complementary in our different roles. Now, let me explain that a little bit more, and this, this is where it ought to be fun. Now, Hebrew is a language of pictures. It's word picture. It gives you images. So when you study Hebrew, you, you learn the words, and they're hard to pronounce, and they're really hard to understand. In fact, Greek and Hebrew both are very complicated languages. While we were in seminary, they called Greek, uh, when you took Greek, they called it baby Greek. Not because that it was, it was easy, because it kept you up at night. You got that? Okay, you got that now, Dan, right? Okay, yeah. Dan's a little slow, but he got it, and the rest of y'all are, okay. But he kept you up at night. Now, the Hebrew name for a man, you can write this down, is ish, I-S-H, ish, ish. Now, it means this. It means the one who pierces. Now, physiologically, we kind of figured out, okay, one who pierces. And, and that's just, I'm not going to explain that. If you don't understand that, you know, talk to Dan. He'll explain it to you, okay? Or if Wyatt was here, you could talk to Wyatt, but, but he ain't here because he's scared. And uh, you talk to him. Now, that means the one who pierces. Now, what also means is this, the one who initiates. The one who initiates, the one who pursues. The one who protects, the one who provides, the one who pierces. That's the Hebrew name for man, it's ish. And in the understanding of ish, that means the man is to be the initiator be the initiator. I have married couples that say to me, uh, my, the men will say, well, how come my wife never initiates anything? Because she's not an initiator. You are. And then I have women says, why do my husband always initiate stuff? Because he's the ish. He's the initiator. That's just the way we are. I made a promise to my wife. I said, as long as I have breath in my body, I'm going to be initiating with you. I'm going to knit because I'm an ish. I'm a pursuer. I'm a protector. I'm a provider. I'm the one who pierces. That's the way God has made me as a man. That's the way God has 
made you men in this room. You are the initiator. You're the protector. You're the provider. You're the one who initiates. So guys, you know what that means? It means you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It means you're to initiate spiritual conversation. You're to initiate spirituality. You're to initiate intimacy. You're to initiate comfort and care. You're not to wait for your wife. You're to initiate. Now, the Hebrew name for woman is Isha. Isha, I-S-H-A. Uh, let me make sure I spell that right. Okay, yeah. Um, I-S-H-S-H-A, sorry. Isha. I like to do Isha. So Tara's my ish, ah. I heard an old song the other day. At last my love has come along. My lonely days are gone. And life is like a song. Y'all heard that song before? It's based on Genesis. It is. When Adam woke from his sleep, he said, at last. Ish, ah. Ish, ah. Ah. Now what that word means in Hebrew is the one who is pierced. Now, physiologically, we understand that as well. The piercer and the one who is pierced. Now, get this, but it also means the one who receives, the one who is more in tune, who's more relational, who's a nurturer, who's a care, who's a, who, who, who cares, who wants to be provided for, who wants to be initiated, who wants to be wooed. That's a woman. Now, are all women alike? No, no. If you jump over to the New Testament, now we know, you guys know that, that Peter was married. Did you know that? The apostle Peter was married. How many of y'all knew that? Raise your hand. How do we know that? Because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Okay, you can't be married. If you're married, you have a mother-in-law, right? Now, some theologians believe that's why Peter denied Jesus three times because he healed his mother-in-law. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have told that, but anyway. But uh, when she got up and fried chicken, so it was all right, you know, in that, in that story. But here's the deal. Okay, Peter says this in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. He says, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. You know what? It says that. Do you know what it really says in Greek? It says, try to live with your wife in an understanding way. Do you know why it says try? Because women are complicated. They are. Now, let me just kind of talk about this for a second that the difference between a man's brain and a woman's brain, that a woman's brain works both sides work. Men's brains work one side at a time. I have guys say, well, you know, I can multitask. You know what I call that? Delusional. We can't. We are one focus. I cannot have a conversation with you and watch football at the same time. I cannot do that. It's impossible. I cannot read and listen to you. I cannot, I do not pick up on conversations when you blow by me at 200 miles an hour giving me information and instruction when I'm watching TV. I can't do that because my brain doesn't work the way a woman's brain does. Now, let me tell you why. Because when little boys become little boys, there's a hormone that washes across our brain called testosterone. And testosterone kills connectors between our brain. Guys, we are justifiably brain damaged from testosterone. So women, you ought to pity us because of that, that condition. Women are global. Women are walking to a room. They see everything. They see colors. They see decoration. They see cushions. How many pillows do you need on a bed? 
At least one more than you got now, right? And I've just given up the fight. I just say every now and then, said, honey, I think we need a new pillow. She laughs at me, you know. Have you thought about changing the bedspread? She says, you haven't noticed the first bedspread. <laughs> That's true. Guys walk into place and looking for something to eat. They're not looking for something decoration. It's just different between men and women. And I talked more about that in our first session of Crazy Love on DVD. And you can go, you can go and listen to that. But the truth is, Ishah, the one who receives, the one who's... Now, here's the beauty of that, that in parenting, Tara could say to me, hey, you know, you're a little hard. You need to soften up. He said some things that might be cutting. You need to soften up. At times, she calls me, she calls herself my filter because obviously mine's broken. You know what? I thank God for her. Where in the world would I be without my godly Ishah? She compliments me. You see, God has roles in the church that are male and female, and they complement one another. We are equal in Christ, aren't we? We come and we're saved, but we have different functions and different roles. A man cannot function as a woman, and a woman cannot function as a man, and when they do, it's unnatural. And God has specifically designed us to be created in his image, and he's created male and female to be complementary, not in competition. And you notice that in this, this call of relationships, there's a two-part assignment. Here's the two-part assignment. He says this. He said, uh, one part is domestic. Be fruitful and dominion and rule over. And, and, and one, one is domestic and one is be fruitful and dominion to rule over. And see, we are not gender-biased or gender-based. We are based on complementary partnerships. And I need to say this, and I want to say this with very much love. Our society is now confused over gender. But there's only two, male and female. And no matter how society gets confused, the truth of God is there are only two. So what do we do with people that are confused? Let me tell you what we do with people that are confused. We love them. We care for them. And we let God work on them. Do you know that love covers a multitude of sins? Did you know that? Do you know there's nothing, there's, there's something about love that's just irresistible? irresistible. And God can clear up confusion. Now, let's go on a little deeper. Are you guys with me so far? Are you having fun? Are you enjoying this? All right. Well, good. Now, let's go back to the Garden of Eden because life in the garden was amazing. Uh, we don't know how long Adam and the woman lived in the garden. Now, I want to say this to you ladies, okay? The woman didn't have a name. It was Adam, which meant man or mankind, man, and the woman didn't have a name. Do you know when she got a name? When they were kicked out of the garden, Adam gave her a name. He called her Eve. Girls, don't you look for a man to give you identity. You look for Jesus to give you identity. You will not find yourself in a relationship with a man. You will find your relationship with God and find out who you are, your identity, when you have a relationship with King Jesus. Don't look for a man to give you identity. Look for King Jesus to give you identity. You got that, girls? Because so many times, women, now get this, men get their identity from what they do. Women get their identity from to whom they belong. 
And I'm not talking about being a possession. I'm talking about being in relationship with. You know, guys can go play golf for four hours and never know anything about each other and barely remember each other's name after four hours of golf. Women can't do that. Women, they, they, uh, they don't want to do that. They want to know each other. They want to know about their kids. They want to know about all that stuff. Women, the, when women talk, they, they get eye to eye and they talk. They look each other in the eye and they talk. They talk to one another like this. Men, when they talk, they stand shoulder to shoulder and kick dirt and don't look at each other. I don't really want to look at a guy's eyes. I just don't. I just don't. But the, that's the difference. This way God made us as initiators to, to go back and forth. Now, in life in the garden, and the Lord God said, Get this, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. Now, if you're an underliner, I want you to underline, I'll make a companion who will help him because this is a very common misinterpreted scripture. So the Lord God formed from the soil, uh, the soil kind, all kinds of animals and birds. He brought them to Adam to see what he'd call them, and Adam chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, birds, and wild animals, and still there was no companion suitable for him. Now, this just absolutely makes no sense logically. God says in heaven, it's not good for man to be alone, so let's let him name all the animals. What? Is God ADD? Did he forget to take his medicine that morning? What's going on? Let me tell you what's going on. God always accentuates your need before he meets your need. Always. Always. Some of you right now are in a season of desperation, and you're saying, God, please give me direction. And what God is doing, he's getting you hungry for his revelation. He's accentuating your need before he meets your need. He wants to put that desire in your heart before he puts the need in your hand. And he's accentuating your need. And that's, that's the brilliance of God. That's the purpose of God. He knows how he made us. And there was no companion suitable for him. So the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And he took one of Adam's ribs and he closed up the place from which he had taken it. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to Adam. At last, at last, Adam exclaimed, she's part of my own flesh and blood, uh, flesh and bone, and she will be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Now, some theologians said when Adam first saw her, he went, whoa, man. It's terrible. Sorry. Now, I want to say this to you. I want you to understand this. Moses wrote the first, first five books of the Bible, right? You, you guys know that? Theologically, Moses wrote this. Moses worked for his father-in-law. This is why he said this next thing. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. That's kind of funny, too, if you think about it. He's working for his father-in-law. He said, get away from mama and come be my wife. Now, though Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. That's Genesis 2, 18 through 22. That last statement is so pivotal. Because when we're in relationship with Christ, there's a transparency and an openness that leads to the deepness of marriage and relational connection. I like to say it this way. When we're naked and not ashamed, there's no secrets, therefore there's no worries. No secrets, no worries. Living a life of complete transparency. You see, God had community in mind. 
When he said, it's not good for man to be alone, I will make for him a suitable helper. What he's saying there, he's not says, I'm not going to make him a, a, a servant. I don't want somebody to come on and cook and clean and, and take care of his physical needs. I'm not, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. In fact, if you, if you look at Scripture, you look at Hebrew and the, uh, the etymology of Hebrew, the word there, suitable helper, is used several times in the Bible. One of the times is in Psalms. He says, I will look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? The help come from is the same word used here in Genesis. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. If we look at the really the root word of this, I will make for him a suitable helper, what it really means is a rescuer from his aloneness. A rescuer from his aloneness. Women, then, are not an accoutrement. They're a rescuer. They're a rescuer. I love that beautiful picture. I love the fact that God elevates women. And any belief system, would you hold on this, any belief system that diminishes women is not of the Lord. And any belief system that diminishes men is not of the Lord. And any belief system that creates a dominance is not of the Lord. Oh, preacher, you better talk a little more about that. All right, I will. You see, mutual submission in order and complement, that's the heart of the Lord. The Lord wants us as men and women to understand that we're to be mutually submissive to one another. Now, the word submission in the New Testament, you'll find it uh, in several places in the New Testament. It's the same word used over and over in Greek. It's hupotasso. I usually don't like to throw out Greek words. I know a little Greek. He runs a restaurant downtown. But a bad joke. Hang with me. Um, that word hupotasso means to fall in line under correct order. It's a willingly submission to correct order. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, Paul launches on how we should live together as married couples. In 22, he talks about wives, and in 24, he talks about husbands. But in 21, he launches the whole conversation by saying this, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That we are to submit to one another. We're not to dominate one another. We're to submit to one another. So guys, if you're married, or if you want to be married, or you think about married, being married, here's some thoughts for you. There are three moves a guy has to make so that we can have that flesh of one flesh, bone of one bone, intimate submission, connection with our wives. And here they are, and you might want to write these down. I don't care how long you've been married, you've got to be reminded of this stuff. Will the ladies give me an amen? Yeah, okay, that's right. Here they are. The first one is sexual, that you have to build a romantic bond with your wife, that she has to be wooed and pursued. She has to be warmed up. I heard uh, one of my mentors is Gary Smalley. Uh, he's a marriage and family expert. He's with the Lord now. He lives with Jesus. But Mary, the Gary would say this, men, when it comes to physical sexual relationship, Men are microwaves and women are crock pots. I'm uncomfortable going any further with that, so we're not going to go, all right? So 
Because women were taken out of man in creation, man then puts back life into her as the one who pierces. And literally, when a married couple engage in intimacy, it is an act of worship. An act of worship. It's powerful, it's sacred, it's holy in marriage. Outside of marriage, it's disastrous. Mm. It's the beauty of married love. And then there's the leaving and cleaving is a relational connection. That in that man, there should be no one closer to you than your spouse. No one closer. I had a best friend. Her name is Tara. She's my best and most trusted friend. I have other guys that are my friends. I've had guys that are my friends that I had longer than Tara. One of my dear friends, he's a circuit judge, and we've been friends since we were six years old. We were college roommates. We, we know a lot, but he's not my best friend. My best friend is my wife because I want her to know me and her to be known by me. I want her to know sometimes, you know, I can tell her anything because I want her to know me, and she wants to know me as well, and that's pursuing. And then the naked without shame, get this, it's a spiritual connection. Spiritual connection. We're doing a marriage uh, conference not too long ago, actually several years ago, and I asked Tara, because I was getting ready for it, I said, hey, hey, baby, when do you feel most loved by this hunk of hunk of bird in love? <laughs> when do you feel most loved by me? This, you know what she said? That's what she said. When you take me in your arms and you pray for me. Now, guys, praying for her doesn't mean holding her in your arms and saying, now, Lord, help this woman to get supper on the table by six every day. Don't, don't pray that stuff. That'll get you hurt, all right? But, you know, just to pray for it, ask God's blessing for it. I pray for my wife every day. I tell her, I pray for her, I pray with her, I pray over her, I care about her. She, I'm obsessed with her. Why? Because she's my issue. Ah. And I want to have a spiritual connection with her. I, I'm really amazed, anytime I teach this, that guys can be very comfortable pursuing their wife sexually but they're not very comfortable pursuing their wives spiritually. And guys, you need to giddy up. Step up. Now, what does God say to women? Let him do this. Don't boss him. Don't rule over him. But allow him. Enable him. Encourage him. Speak life to him. Don't put your hands on him and say, you ought to know. He ain't got no clue. And help him and communicate and talk with each other and be mutually submissive to one another. Now, this is, this is amazing. Women, you allow this. Allow your husband to lead you. Men, you do not dominate. I hear guys say, well, I'm the head of my house. You know what I call that? Baloney. I heard a, a, a pastor's wife once, she said, you know my husband, he's the head, but I'm the neck. I turn that head where it needs to go. <laughs> it's complimentary. It's complimentary. And I think this, that I should never try to dominate my wife or bully my wife or boss my wife or, or dominate. I should, I should love her as Christ loved the church and gave 
himself for her. And Tara should love me. And she, she needs to allow me to lead and encourage me in my leadership and to say, hey, baby, have you thought about doing these things? Have you thought about, have you considered? And I want to tell you something. We've been married 35 years. Our marriage is not perfect, but I want to tell you something. Our marriage is good. Good. And there's times that I'm just a complete idiot. But Tara loves me. And uh, there's times that I, I need to be shaken and woke up relationally, and she does that gently. You know, my wife never cries except for when she's mad, and when she cries, I know something wrong, and I've done it. And, and I, I just adore her. And she's, I asked her, I said, I said, baby, do you feel like you're called to be a pastor's wife? She says, I feel like I'm called to be your wife. And we're called in the ministry together. Together. And it's the beauty of marriage love. And I don't want to, I, I, marriage, like I said, it's not perfect. But see, God wants me to have everything rooted in honor. Everything rooted in honor. Now, this sermon's getting long, so I need to, need to cut it down. There's, there's so much more I need to talk about. But this married relationship and these relationships we have with men and women, get this. In John 14, 1 through 6, the night Jesus was betrayed, he said this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. The King James Version says mansions, which makes things everybody's got their own little house in heaven. It's not the way it is. We live with the Father in his house in heaven. We live with Jesus in his house. Many dwelling places. If we're not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you that where I am, you will be also. And you know where I'm going, you know the way. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, which is the most inclusive language ever in any religion. Every other religion says you got to do something. Jesus says all you got to do is be something, be mine. Everyone says you got to do this, you do this, do this. Jesus says, uh-uh, just be mine. Now get this, this is what most people don't know. That passage of Scripture is a Jewish proposal speech that a Jewish man who's going to get, who's going to, about to be married would tell his intended bride, this is what he would say to her at, her at their engagement. Hey, baby, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, in many, many, many dwelling places, you know, we're going to go live with daddy in, in the family compound. It's a proposal speech. Jesus proposed to the church. Do you know why Jesus never married? Because the church is the bride of Christ. He's already got his girl picked out, and that's us. He's the one who was pierced for our transgressions. And we respond to him by faith. Isn't that beautiful? And that's the beauty of what God's saying. He's saying this relationship is a covenant between me and you. But then when you're in this covenant with me, you let your relationships reflect my covenant commitment as well. I was preaching my niece's wedding. And a part of the vows, I said, do you promise to love each other until one of you lays the other in the arms of Jesus? After the wedding, my father caught me. My brother, who's a pastor, we both did the wedding. 
He said, which one of you boys said that stuff about laying the other one in the arms of Jesus? And Stan said, that's Scott. That's the pithy sayings Scott would say. And, and Daddy said, you know, that's pretty powerful. Because you know, one day I'm going to probably lay your mama in the arms of Jesus. Or one day she's going to lay me in the arms of Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. We're going to love each other until he does. Until we do. And I told Tara, I said, I'm going to love you until the Lord calls me. And after that, we're going to have some negotiation in heaven. I was thinking about, Jesus said, you know, in heaven there's no marriage or giving in marriage. And I was, I love Tara. And I, and I was talking to the Lord about that. And he said, Scott, don't you think I got something better for you in heaven? Now, some of y'all kind of relieved that you're going to get rid of that rascal when you get to heaven, right? <laughs> but don't you know God's got something better? There's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more shame, no more confusion. We live in the bliss of the revelation of God. Mm. But paradise was lost by sin. And I will quickly go through this. Uh, I want to spend more time, but I just don't have it. And I apologize, y'all. I apologize for preaching long, but I'm not sorry, okay? Just so you know. <laughs> the curse to the woman. He said to the woman, sin came along and it messed up everything. I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So part of the sin curse is the birth of child care, the childbirth. Some people believe that the sexual desire is what he's talking about here, but it's not. It's the desire to dominate your husband, which is sinful. But he's going to dominate you, which is sinful. It's the curse of sin. To the man, he says this. He said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living for it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. But the sweat of your brow you'll have food to eat until you return to the ground for which you made. For you are made from dust, and the dust you will return. What he was saying here, you know, I created you for relationships, and dead gummit sin has come along, and now you're going to find your identity and your work, and you're never going to find it because it's in relationships and not your job. First thing guys ask each other, so what do you do? And it's part of the sin curse. And we're going to try to rule over our wives because it's the sin curse. And the wives are going to try to rule over us because it's the sin curse. And we're going to try to get our identity by what we do and what we have. It's to, the, to whom we belong. And it's sin. And it's sin. And it, it's the practical brokenness of sin. And it carries outside of marriage as well. It carries itself into the church. We try to rule over each other. We try to dominate each other. We try to get our identity. And I talked to 30-something pastors this week, and they were trying to get their identity by how many people showed up to hear them preach on Easter Sunday. I said, guys, it's a, it's not, that's not right. It's not right. Wyatt told me that last Sunday... Outside of the building dedication, we had the highest attendance in the 133-year history of this church last Sunday. Big deal. How many people know King Jesus? That's the big deal. Would you agree? We cannot get our identity by our task. We get our identity by our Father God. And God has come 
to break the curse. So let me finish with this. Back to the garden by the way of the cross. Back to the garden by the way of the cross. There's hope for us. There's hope for our marriage. There's hope for our friendships. There's hope for the church. There's hope for our society. There's hope for our society. We've had this political slogan that says, make a great America great again. But I want to say this. Let King Jesus be king again. Let him be king again. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them over the cross. But what does that mean? It means he took away the power of our culture by the cross. The power of our preconceived notions by the cross. And he said, because of the cross, I'm changing everything. And the gospel changes our relationships. The gospel gives me the ability to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And it gives Tara the ability to let me love her. The cross gives me the power to love you with genuine affection, to be kind to one another, forgiving each other, just as in God, just in Christ, God has forgiven you, to speak the best about one another, to let every word that comes out of my mouth be for building up and not tearing down. The cross gives me the power to do that. Wow. Because I don't have the power. I don't have the authority. You see, God, through the vertical relationship with the cross, has made me right with him. So I, through the horizontal relationship, can be right with you. That's crazy love, y'all. That's the love of the cross. We can be reconciled in the church. We can be reconciled in our families. We can be reconciled in our relationships, in our businesses, in our world. We can be reconciled. We can be reconciled. We should never settle for anything less than relational driven reconciliation through the cross of Jesus Christ. We should live no other way but in unity and the bond of peace, loving each other deeply from the heart. Would you agree? Yeah. You see, there's a process here, and I'm going to end with this. The process of me falling in love with Jesus and loving him with everything I have, broken and flawed as I am, not understanding everything I should, but in childlike faith saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. And him redeeming me and him reconciling me and he forgiving me. And then there's the process of saying, I want to be renewed relationally with you. Because I love Jesus, I want to love you. And then we could figure out why God put us together as a family. Why God put us together. And we could be the hope of the world. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. Does that excite you? Life is too short to go to a church that's not living all for Jesus. Would you agree with me? 
And this is powerful. You see, God is all about relationships. Yours to him and yours to one another. So church, I want to invite you. Come to the cross. And then you'll see crazy love displayed that we can live in that crazy love.